father and my father were cousins. So he came in, he found me in the toilet. I couldn't escape. <laughs> and he reminded me that he watched me playing as fly half for Michael House at Hilton away match where we beat Hilton. I was the place kicker. So, you know, the box, forget about the box. Michael House beat Hilton. Now, those who are from Natal, and it's actually often on TV, and I can actually still remember the place where, I kick, where the ball was, where I kicked the, you know, penalty. So, I am now brimming with confidence. Um, my ego is greatly improved after that. So, um, yeah, I'm very much going to hopefully lay some sort of foundation and my hope is that maybe your hunger and your expectation will be elevated in some sense. So I'm going to be doing multiple things here. I like to see my own stuff. And um, all right, now this is supposed to go forward and it didn't do that. Otherwise, um, you're just going to have to press it at, the, at your computer and hope that you are with me. And I'll tell you if you're not. <laughs> so while she's doing that, that, there we go, just go there. So I want to connect two great moments, one in the life of Jesus and one in the life of the early church. And actually, probably we should go Israel... Jesus and the church at Pentecost. So just a little bit about Israel. I think you all know the story about how Israel lost the grandeur of the kingdom and was sent into exile. You know, with David and Solomon, they reached a zenith of power and prosperity and blessing. And uh, then they started worshiping false gods, especially the fertility gods of Canaan, Baal, and Asherah. And God sent many prophets saying, if you do not repent of this idolatry, I will judge you. And they didn't repent, and eventually God raised up the Medo-Persians and the Babylonians, and they invaded Israel and were taken into exile. And in the darkness of that experience, the prophets of Israel began to say that a new day would come one day when God would not just restore Israel and bring them back from the exile and send a descendant of David who would be far more anointed than David, but that he would enter this world in a completely unprecedented way and his kingdom would come and a new world would begin. And as we get closer to the period of Jesus, the predominant expectation of Israel was that the sign of this great new era would be the return of the spirit of prophecy. Because in being judged by God, 
what he did is he stopped speaking through the prophets. And there were no more prophets in Israel, and there was no more prophetic anointing. And the expectation was that the key to knowing the moment when this new age of the Messiah would dawn would not just be somebody anointed like David, but the return of the spirit of prophecy. And that's what brings us to the story of Jesus and of Pentecost. So I'm just going to carry on. Uh, Next slide. So I'm going to talk about these two great moments in the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. And we know the story because Luke is the author of Luke and Acts. He writes two volumes. And when he introduces the second volume, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Notice his works and his words. And what Luke does in writing these two volumes is to deliberately parallel the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. Now, he does this in uh, all sorts of ways. Next slide. But um, in the story of Jesus, you have the succession of his birth by the Holy Spirit, his anointing at his baptism, which then initiated his ministry of words and works. And then after his Galilean ministry, he goes on this journey to Jerusalem where he is tried multiple times and crucified. And uh, next bit, the story of the church follows the same outline. It begins with the birth of the church at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes on the church, followed by the ministry of the apostles, where they do the same works and words of Jesus. And then you get the apostolic journeys of uh, Paul and so on, the mission of the church, and the book of Acts ends with a series of trials, like the book of Luke ends with a series of trials. And there are actually far more parallels than those ones. So Luke is telling us the story of Jesus gets replicated in the story of the church. And the church is therefore the succession community to Jesus. That next, next bit. Um, and what's interesting is to be the Messiah means to be anointed. And the word anointed is the word Christos. So Jesus is the Christ, the anointed. And it says in Acts 11, put it there, the disciples were called Christianos first in Antioch, which basically means Christ's. Or now, of course, we're not like the Christ Jesus, but maybe we should say little Christ's. He was the anointed one. The early church becomes the anointed people who are the successors of Jesus in his ministry. So, first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about the story of Jesus, therefore. Next one. And then I'm going to talk about the story of the church and go a little bit more into these details. So, when it comes to the story of Jesus... There are some key texts that, next one, um, describe this. At the Jordan River, after he is baptized by John, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. As he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. 
A voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now, notice it goes straight on from him being filled with the Holy Spirit to beginning his ministry. So, guess what started his ministry? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he become? He became anointed. So, although he was born of the Spirit in the story of you know, Mary and, and all the people around his birth... This is when he was made into the Christ. Already the Son of God, now he becomes the Christ of God. And it says, from that experience, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. And and then he goes into the wilderness where he does battle with the devil, and he defeats the devil. And then it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him went throughout the whole countryside. And the next passage, he goes into the synagogue, and he basically announces why he has come, what his mission is. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And he's quoting from Isaiah, and he says, today, the scripture is fulfilled. And what happens is Jesus then goes around doing works and speaking words because the Holy Spirit has come upon him. Now, it's interesting, even his birth is surrounded by the revival of prophecy. So you find Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Anna and Simeon. The story of Jesus' birth is filled with the revival of prophecy, people having visionary experiences, uh, things like that. So the new era had dawned in his birth story. But this is the moment where his ministry began, where he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, if you look at the, at the ministry of Jesus, next slide, the, the milestones of, of his career, if you like, he's born of the Spirit, as I've explained, amidst the revival of prophetic phenomena. Then he is anointed or Christed at his baptism, And then, empowered by the Spirit, directly as a result, he began his ministry. And he goes around uh, healing the sick, even healing dead people who are dead, bringing them back to life. Lots of exorcisms, which is a form of liberation from oppression. Forgiving people and feeding the poor. And all of that starts when he is anointed by the Holy Spirit, when he is Christ did, if you like. And so, there are these summary statements that describe clearly this dimension of the ministry of Jesus. At one point, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist were sent to Jesus and asked him the question, are you the one? Are you the Christ? And he said, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. By the way, he's ticking off a whole lot of prophecies of Isaiah. This is the core of what he came to do. Matthew twice has the summary of the whole ministry of Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and illness among the people. So he proclaimed it. The kingdom has come. The era of the Messiah is here. The return of the Spirit has happened. And he demonstrated it in liberating people. And then in in Acts 10, it gives the summary of the ministry of Jesus. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. See, if there's one core thing that Jesus came and started doing was liberating humans who were oppressed and sick and poor, he came to set them free. This was, and he could do it because the anointing of the Spirit came upon him. So, Luke deliberately parallels that story with the story of the church. Next slide. And this is how the connection takes place. Now, um, you just need to go from the summary statements. Next one. And then the next one. All right. Remember, I talked about how in the Old Testament, there was the loss of the prophetic spirit and the expectation of the return of the prophetic spirit and then the return of the prophetic spirit from the birth of Jesus onwards. Now, what is interesting, and and I don't have time to go into these texts here, but as Jesus made his inaugural sermon in, in in the synagogue, he paralleled himself with Elijah. And just, yeah, the bottom one, the closest ministry to Jesus in the Old Testament is the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. And if you look at the list there, the things that they did that Jesus did, they healed leprosy, they multiplied food miraculously, they raised dead people, they had prophetic gifts of knowledge, revelatory gifts of knowledge, power flowed out of them like power flowed out of the body of Jesus, they were bodily, Elijah was bodily transported from place A, point A to point B like you see in the book of Acts. And what is the most interesting thing is that when Elijah was taken up to heaven and left, Elisha saw him go, and as he saw Elijah ascend, the anointing that was on Elijah came on Elisha, and he then carried the anointing that the previous prophet had had. Also, around them was a community called the Sons of the Prophets. A whole lot of people who used to spend their time worshipping and having, like, Holy Spirit experiences. And the way Luke tells the story of Pentecost is to deliberately draw a parallel between that succession and the succession that happens with Jesus and the church. So, Jesus, go to the next one. In saying what is Pentecost, it's really important to understand that the way Luke tells the story of Pentecost is the succession narrative. So Jesus, uh, when they said, are you going to restore Israel at this time? This is now Jesus being raised from the dead. 
And he says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And previously, at the end of the book of Luke, he says, do not leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. He's basically saying, look, I'm giving you a mission to go and evangelize the world and do what I had been doing to the world, but don't even think of doing it in your own strength. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you receive the experience I received. And so the way Luke tells the story, they see Jesus being taken up into heaven. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight, just as Elijah, Elisha saw Elijah go. And the next thing, on the day of Pentecost, what happens? The anointing that was on Jesus comes on the church. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, Pentecost was not an experience of getting saved. They already knew Jesus. They already had believed in his death. He already breathed on them the power of the resurrection. They were already born again believers, if you like. No, this was an experience clearly describing empowering. And so what happens uh, here is a succession story. The prophetic anointing, on the Elijah-Elisha-like anointing that was on Jesus comes on the church, and the church becomes the prophetic people of the Spirit, the sons of the prophets. So, if you go into the story of the book of Acts, and uh, it's a wonderful story, I'm sure you guys have read your Bibles, the way Peter describes Pentecost is he deliberately selects a verse from Joel, and Joel predicts that the day will come when whether you old or young, or males or females, you will prophesy. And when they were filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues and stuff, it, what was happening is they were getting prophetic. They were speaking the great acts of God. They were, their speech was prophetically elevated, if you like. And then if you follow the story of the book of Acts, they start operating in the same way that Jesus did. They start speaking boldly about Jesus. They start having visionary experiences like Jesus often had. They operate in prophetic revelatory gifts. They heal sick people. They even raise people from the dead. And there is an exponential growth of mission of churches planted and thousands won for the gospel because anointed by the same anointing that was on Jesus, they do the words of Jesus, they speak the words of Jesus, and they do the works of Jesus. And there's this very clear parallel between the two. And you know, Pentecost happens again and again in the history of the church. 
in the history of revivals, there are fresh Pentecosts. And in the history of missions, wherever there is a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, and these sort of Pentecost phenomena happen to the people of God, evangelism, mission, and church planting is exponentially accelerated. And the mission of God to the world is fulfilled. So we are called to be Christ's, Christianos, anointed by the Spirit like Jesus was, to do the ministry that Jesus did. So let me um, talk a little bit about my experience because sometimes it helps to, you know, uh, tell a real-life story. So my story is not actually about rugby, um, although I would love it to have been, but anyway. So I was at this boarding school called Michael House, and I was a real little pagan. And an evangelist who is well-known in South Africa called Michael Cassidy came and did his first ever mission at, at the school, and he preached the gospel. And I remember the words where he said, either Jesus Christ is Lord of all in your life or not Lord at all. And will you bow today and make Jesus the Lord of your life? And I committed my life to Jesus. It was like a crisis conversion. And I remember before that, I'd been reading the Bible every day in the rest break to try and prove to my girlfriend that I was a Christian. And the only verse that I ever found meaningful was a verse that said a woman must be in submission to her husband, which I triumphantly wrote to her in a letter. Um, and all of a sudden, after I gave my life to Jesus, the same Bible just started speaking to me. It was like I could understand it, especially the whole thing about justification through faith. And then a few months later, I was falling asleep, if you like, in, in, the, in the dormitory. It was a boarding school. And I had a calling experience where God spoke to me and said, you're not going to be a farmer's son. Uh, you're going to preach the word of God and teach the word of God for the rest of your life. And uh, I wrote it. A letter to my father, and he was so upset. He wanted me to be taken to a psychiatrist because I'd gone crazy. And uh, so I had very clear uh, conversion experience, calling experience. Then I got to Rhodes University where I went to study theology because as a young Anglican, that's where you went. And I was in a sort of residence with the Presbyterians and the Methodists. But through the Student Christian Association, I met a whole lot of students who went to the local Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church. And there was at that stage the beginning of the like the charismatic and Jesus people revivals. And I could see that they were in a different dimension. And so I went there. And I was utterly shocked as a good Anglican. Uh, meetings where the whole congregation sang in tongues at the same time and people were prophesying and I was actually quite terrified at first. And I knew I needed the experience that characterized that community, maybe like the sons and daughters of the prophets, that I hadn't had. I, I wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit like they were. And so I started praying. And I went through a terrible period of introspection. Because one of my friends who was a Methodist uh, guy studying for the Methodist ministry, he'd become a charismatic and he was speaking in tongues and he took me, you know, to a dark street one night and laid hands upon me and guess what happened? Nothing. 
absolutely nothing. And so I started feeling, you know, I'm not one of God's chosen ones. Uh, clearly, he wants to fill everybody else with the Spirit, but not me. And for months, I prayed. I said, God, I, I need, I want this experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we had to do philosophy to do theology. And the philosophy lecturers at Rhodes were all people who had been theological students who'd lost their faith studying philosophy. And they were doing their level best to help us to lose our faith as theological students. And one of God's little jokes, I was sitting in a philosophy class one morning. And all of a sudden, it was like somebody had poured a bucket of fire on me. And I just thought, hello? What is this? I didn't act out in a philosophy class. You'd be glad to know. Um, but I went straight back to my room in the residence. And I knelt down next to the bed and immediately started speaking in tongues. And I had this joy come, come into my life. Now, I remember afterwards when the, it was lunchtime, I didn't know what to do with myself, so I went to lunch. And the guys at the table said, Morphew, what's happened to you? Have you got engaged or something? I said, no, I haven't got engaged. They said, you look so happy. What's, what's going on? And something really had happened. And I found that was the gateway into what's been a long story of... Uh, you know, the privilege of experiencing, let's say, the charismatic dimension. The first thing I noticed is that I just wanted to be in prayer meetings all the time, and it was like renewal prayer meetings. And I would have these experiences where I felt like a pressure cooker was inside of me, and I needed to speak prophetically to the gathered people. And then later on, I started experiencing what you'd call uh, revelatory experiences, uh, not, not as often as some of my friends, but, um, you know, where God shows you the need of another person or the heart of another person um, or the sickness of another person. And um, later on in ministry, I remember once I had a co-pastor, and nobody would know now because this all happened before most of you were born. Um, God just told me that he was having an affair. And, and I had spoke to him, and he, he said no. And, then I, and, the, and it was just like, I knew that I knew that I knew. Um, I've had other experiences later on where I've been praying for people, and their emotional state has leapt upon me so that I've started feeling their feelings. Remember once when there was a whole move of the Holy Spirit in, 90, in the 90s, there was a, a woman who was suicidal, and we were in a meeting, and we were going around laying hands on people. And every time within I got within a meter of her, I started weeping uncontrollably because what was in her came on me so that I had compassion for strange phenomena like that. And you see, the, the experience of Pentecost really is a prophetic gateway into then operating in what Paul describes as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, laying hands on sick people, imparting the Spirit. Um, you know, over the years, I've had many times when I've been able to speak at conferences where there's a sort of climate of the move of the Holy Spirit, and then praying the Holy Spirit prayer, come Holy Spirit. 
right now. And, you know, the Holy Spirit has, has visited the, the, the people. So, my story, and, and we've got to be careful to not try to live exactly like other people's experiences, because the experience of every Christian is different. But my story was, I needed more than a crisis conversion. I needed more than even a calling experience. I needed a being filled with the Holy Spirit experience, which then opened up the dimension of the charismatic gifts in my experience over the years thereafter. So this brings me to last slide. What is your story? Now, the early church got into this experience of Pentecost in a very deliberate way. Jesus said to them, do not leave Jerusalem until you are filled with power from on high. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. So they started praying. And who can do maths? Pentecost is how many days? You know, between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost? What's Pentecost? 50, isn't it? Well, 50 days, how many weeks is that? Four sevens of 48. Is that right? So, weeks they spent praying. And what do you think they were praying? They were saying, Lord, pour out your spirit like Jesus told what happened to us. He told us to wait and expect it. And then on the day of Pentecost, having postured themselves, themselves if you like, being ready and waiting, suddenly the Holy Spirit fell. So the early Pentecostals used to have what they called receiving meetings, where they would teach about the empowering of the Spirit, uh, get people to expect it and hunger for it, and they often lead the church through a season of prayer, and then have specific meetings where, you know, they'd psych everybody up and say, hey, guys, you know, come on Friday night, whatever, we're going to pray, and we're going to lay hands upon you, and we want you to be empowered. So there is such a thing as a pre-Pentecost posturing, where you as an individual, and I should have added, once this Pentecostal experience happened to the early church, it happened again and again to them. There are a number of times where they were again in meetings, and again the Holy Spirit came upon them, and again the result was empowering. You can read about it in Acts 4, for instance, which follows Acts 2. And, and they talk about how they again were filled with the Spirit like at the beginning. And so, you know, whether it's an individual or a church, there can be many, many Pentecosts, if you like. But there's such a thing as pre-Pentecost posturing, where you seek God and you ready yourself and you pray. And this can be for an individual, because like for me, it was an individual journey that I prayed and prayed and, and then this thing happened to me. But in the book of Acts, it's normally a community experience where a community would be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and a community would posture itself to get ready for such an experience. And I think the motivation to do that is twofold. It's very important to get the motivation right. The first is to obey the command of Jesus. You know, the church has sacraments like baptism and the breaking of bread, and they say it's because what Jesus commanded us to do. But he also commanded us to wait until we are powered and powered by the Spirit. It's a command of Jesus. And I think we should obey the command of Jesus. But also, why would we want to have such an experience? Why would we want to have a fresh Pentecost? The motive is to do the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus and to duplicate his ministry, which is to liberate humanity, set the captives free, heal the sick, feed the poor, and spread the church. So I would say before you make yourself available for somebody to lay hands upon you and pray for you to have a fresh Pentecost or a first Pentecost in your life, ask yourself this. If it makes me do the following things, do I want it? If the result is I start talking about Jesus to people all the time until I'm an absolute pest, will I do it? If it makes me be at a mug and bean, and then God gives me a revelation about a person sitting over there who I've never met, and then I go up and say, you know, by the way, I think God told me something for you. Would you do it? Would you be willing to, every time you meet a sick person, not talk to them about going to the doctor, but first praying for them? You know, the guy who founded the vineyard on Wimber, he, he had a profound healing ministry, and he said, and, and he spent a period of six months preaching about healing and praying for healing desperately, and nobody was healed. And then suddenly, one person was healed. And then a whole international healing ministry started. And he, he made this statement, which I think is very important. Until you've prayed for a hundred sick people without seeing one of them healed, you're not allowed to give up. And maybe number 101, somebody will be healed. See, So the reason we would seek this experience is not for the experience. And there's a danger in this me world that it's all about me being zapped, me having an experience, me. No, no, no. This is about me making myself available for the mission of God to become a radical disciple of Jesus and saying, I cannot do this. I, I do not have it in myself. Do not leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus said it's useless as the church. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't do the mission of God. And, and so seeking these sort of charismatic outpourings, which happen often in revivals, the motive is to obey Jesus and to fulfill his command. Now, just as individuals can have fresh Pentecosts, so individual churches can have what people call a move of the Holy Spirit. Where as a local congregation, you become what some people call a hotspot. Where you seek God, and the next thing, the Holy Spirit starts to move in more 
demonstrable presence. And then the news gets out and people speak to their friends and people start coming. You'd be amazed. You don't have to advertise when the Holy Spirit is moving. You know, uh, things just start to, to happen. And you as a local church, if God gives you the hunger and the desire, can seek God until you become like a, a hot spot. So I just want to dangle that in front of you and sort of like throw a holy hand grenade in the meeting and drive back to Lakeside <laughs> and leave it to my friends here, my third cousin or whatever, and Roger and so on, and all of you guys, whatever you want to do with it. But we are called to be Christianos, little Christs. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not just about me getting my sins forgiven so when I die I go to heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. That's just the beginning. It's making myself available for the mission of God and being willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit until I do that. So, what's going to be your story? Will you allow me to pray for you mostly that the Holy Spirit will give birth to a deep hunger, almost like a painful hunger in you for these things. Is that okay? Let's all stand up. You've been sitting very, very uh, kindly. And I'm just going to pray a prayer um, in a way for your future. And so let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess you are the Christ, the Son of God. And we thank you that ascended at the Father's right hand, you poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you the one who supplies the Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you will visit this church in the weeks and months that follow in a new and special way. And I pray right now, come Holy Spirit and place a hunger and an expectation in the heart of these, your people. Lord, uh, do something that will not leave them. Help them, Lord, to know how to wait and to pray and to seek and to receive. And as you stand there, I just say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit come and visit this church. And Lord, give wisdom to its leaders uh, how to facilitate, facilitate these things. But Lord, most of all, we pray for your sovereign work, your sovereign intervention. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Over to you, Roger. Derek, you can maybe stay here yeah. just because I don't often get to tell you what to do. Okay. <laughs> But um, part of this, the gift journey is, 